Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bowley. gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, the 18th chapter. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, 
Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of God for the people of God. Did you praise God this week? Praise God to everybody you saw? Keep working on it. It was the fall of 586 B.C. Jerusalem had fallen to the Babylonian armies, and the nobles and wealthy people of Israel had been rounded up and marched out of town to serve in Babylon, that city that was 1,600 miles, long miles, to the east. And that was as a crow flies, but the Israelites were not crows. The people of Israel had to walk. They had to walk that distance. And they couldn't walk directly there, but they had first to go north to Damascus and then even farther to the northeast to follow the Euphrates River to Babylon. They probably walked 2,400 miles. To put this in perspective, from Parkersburg to Orlando, Florida is a little over 800 miles. These people from Jerusalem had to walk the equivalent of a walk to Orlando, Florida and back and then walk back again to Orlando. Can you imagine how tired and weary they must be? And this was after they had seen the Babylonian army destroy their homes, after they had endured a siege, after they'd fought the Babylonians on the walls of their hometown. They began the journey exhausted and depressed. Imagine how they must have felt after just a hundred miles of walking. Furthermore, Jeremiah, God's prophet, had laid the blame squarely upon the people of Jerusalem and their leaders and their tendency to ignore God. Jeremiah had been telling them for several decades that trouble was coming, that God was getting impatient with their constant devotion to their comforts, their attention to other gods, their tendency to ignore the God who had made them a nation. But the people of Jerusalem had blithely assumed that because they were God's people, God would never let anything bad happen to them. And so they just left God in the background of their lives, choosing to do whatever they wanted, ignoring God in both the good times and the bad times. It was like assuming that they were teenagers, that their, their wealthy and generous parents loved and spoiled. They could do anything they wanted. They could stay out all hours. They could party all they wanted. And nothing bad would happen to them because their parents were known in the community and they would protect them. I knew kids like this down in Atlanta where the real question was not whether their parents was going to buy them a car on their 16th birthday, but whether that new car, and notice it was never an old junker, the question was whether that new car would be a new BMW or a Mercedes convertible. The teens assumed that their parents would be there to keep them from being arrested even while they had left their generous parents behind at home. They just felt protected. Then one day, God, the Father of us all, 
let the people of Jerusalem go to jail because they had not done what he asked. And now the people of Jerusalem went to the other extreme. They lost all hope because that protection that God had given them, that they had always assumed was permanent and perfect, that protection was now gone. But it was then that God's message to them changed because God's message is always the message that we need to hear at that point where we are in our lives. How did the message change? Before... When the people of Jerusalem were ignoring God, the message God sent through Jeremiah was, don't ignore God. But they continued to ignore God. During the siege and the beginning of the long journey to Babylon, the people had said to each other that the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. And what they meant by that was that the children were suffering for the sins of their parents. And now on that day... They were trudging along the dry, dusty roads to Babylon. And God spoke a different message to those people on the road, once again, through Jeremiah. God said, Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. It was a warning to the younger generation. Stop blaming the older generation for your problems. Now it's your time to turn away from sin and turn to God. Now it's your turn to build a relationship with the God who loves you. But you know, blaming the older generation, isn't that still the way many people think today? Don't even we, who may be a couple of years older than 20, don't we... <laughs> well... Maybe a few more than 20. Don't we blame our parents for everything bad that's happened in our lives? They were too strict, or they weren't strict enough. They demanded from us as teenagers, or they let us do things we shouldn't have done. Our parents and our teachers didn't teach us how to balance our checkbooks. Of course, we never asked them. They used drugs in front of us, or they were so strict that of course we had to learn about drugs and alcohol from our messed up friends. School was boring. We hated school. Video games and partying were much more fun. And now we don't have useful skills. And that's because our parents didn't force us to go to school and to college and become doctors and engineers and computer programmers. It's all their fault. We complained about getting up and going to church our grandparents said to go, it would be good for us. Our parents were too tired to force us to get up on Sunday mornings, and so we stayed at home. It was our parents' fault. They should have forced us to go to church. We had nothing to do with it, and so we never spent time with the good people who cared deeply for us. After all, how could we walk to church or drive to church without our parents already being there? And besides, that one time we went, there was someone there we didn't like who made us feel bad because we didn't know what was going on. It's their fault, and our parents' fault, and our grandparents' fault that we don't go to church. And you know, that's how Jerusalem turned away from God. There might be a lesson in there for today. The grandparents loved God, and they taught their children about God. 
The parents didn't see the point in teaching their children. After all, they, the parents, they understood God, but they had work to do and they needed rest. And so their children never were exposed to the beauty and wonder of God. And so over 50 years' time, Jerusalem turned away from God and turned to their own comfort. It was a failure of persistence. For the grandparents forgot to teach their children one key lesson. They forgot to teach their children to teach their children about God. There was no persistence through the generations. God said, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. And so the people, mainly the younger people, because the elders had died in the two-year siege of Jerusalem, the young people of Jerusalem found themselves walking along dusty, dry, rocky roads to Babylon. They were on those roads because their parents and grandparents had forgotten that the most important thing to teach children and grandchildren was the love and respect of the God who loved and protected them. They had focused so much on providing for their children and grandchildren in this life that they had forgotten that the next life which only comes through a relationship with the creator of the universe, is far more important. And so God had removed God's protection from Jerusalem because they had ignored him. And now the young people were forced to leave the city and travel as slaves to Babylon. And thousands of years later, we teach our children and grandchildren the worship of the sports gods instead of the worship of the living God. Jeremiah spoke God's words once more, though, to those people who walked and who would listen. It was a message of love and hope and forgiveness. Just as a parent says to the child who spent a night in jail, who promises, the, the parent who promises to soon bail them out if they've learned their lesson, Jeremiah said to the people of Jerusalem, The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord because they'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's the promise of a wonderful parent or grandparent to a child who has learned his or her lesson. It is the promise God makes to all who have learned their life lessons. I knew of a couple of women a mother and a daughter who had a rough time during the daughter's teen years and early 20s. But eventually they came to an understanding. They had spent many years accusing each other of various crimes and sins. But what they finally did was they simply agreed not to mention anything that happened before a certain date. And after that, they've had a wonderful relationship. Both agreed, like God, to forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. God left the people in Jerusalem, in Babylon jail, for 70 years. 
And during that time, the teachers of Israel pulled together much of the Old Testament from the various scrolls that they had saved and began the idea of teaching in synagogues weekly. And so the people as a whole recovered the meaning of what it meant to truly be God's people, what it really meant about their relationship with God. They remembered who God is and what God had done for them. And they understood the importance of teaching the children and the grandchildren the lessons that God had taught them. And then, after 70 years, God led them back to Jerusalem and the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt by Ezra and Nehemiah. But part of the promise was still in the future. That required the return of the rightful king of Jerusalem, a descendant of King David, the greatest king in Israel. And so 500 years after the return to Jerusalem, Jesus was born, a descendant of King David on both his earthly fathers and on his mother's side. According to the Gospel of Luke, Jesus had been traveling toward Jerusalem for a while when we come across today's reading, he'd been preaching that the kingdom of God was coming. After healing the ten lepers in last week's reading, a group of Pharisees asked him when the kingdom of God would come, and he told them, the kingdom of God is in your midst. He then reminded his disciples that everyone was having a good time in the days of Noah until the flood came. He reminded them that the people of Sodom were living their normal lives when the fire and sulfur rained down from heaven. And then he ominously told them that when the Son of Man is revealed, meaning himself, there would be great destruction. He then told them a parable so they would always pray and never give up, though. He said that in a certain town there was a judge who didn't fear God or what people thought, and there was a widow who kept nagging the judge for a judgment against her enemy. He refused for a time, but she just kept nagging him. So he finally relented and gave him what she asked. Jesus said, Won't God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Oh, they'll get justice quickly. And then Jesus wondered, again referring to himself, When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Faith, you know, is a trust developed in another person or in God. We have faith in people we trust to have the will and the power to do what is needed. Here, unlike in some cities, we have faith that the police will keep order. Here, unlike in some countries, we have faith that our military will protect us from another country's armed forces. And we who believe have faith that God has the power and the will to protect each of us. But have we a deep faith in God or a superficial faith like the people of Jerusalem before the armies of Babylon arrived? Are we paying attention to God or ignoring God? But faith in God is not true of all people. There are many who don't have faith. I did not in high school. In fact, when I was in college, I asked a couple of Christian friends how to believe in Christianity, and they told me, you just need to have faith. But I didn't have faith. How was I to get faith? Today I have great faith in God and Jesus. But how do we develop faith if we don't have it? How does your friend develop faith if he or she doesn't have it? Well, faith in God comes in steps. To have great deep faith, first comes the understanding of who God is. God is not a vending machine where if you put your money in and push the right buttons, your prize comes out. 
No, God, unlike everyone else in the universe, is totally independent. Nothing we do can influence God. We can't threaten God. We can't bribe God. We can't manipulate God. God knows exactly what we're up to when we start. Our first step is that we have to accept this great deep truth. If God exists and is who Christians have claimed for thousands of years that He is, then God is the one being with the integrity and power and love for us that we should accept God's lordship over us. We might not bow to any human, but the God of Christianity is worthy of being bowed to. Yet you know, this is the biggest barrier to coming to faith. For most of us, in fact none of us, have ever met anyone that we can trust so much with our life and death as someone worthy of being followed. Some people have chosen to follow certain politicians or preachers or celebrities as if they were gods or goddesses. But eventually, all humans fail us. But God will not fail us. So how do we develop this faith in God? We do this in much the same way that we develop faith in a person. We ask if they're trustworthy. We listen to their promises and observe them to see if they follow up on their promises. We ask them for minor assistance and see if they'll help us and how they're able to help us. For you know, direct help isn't always the greatest help. Here's what I mean. I once had a professor. He was a great professor. I'd ask a question about such and such, and my professor would not answer me. Frustratingly, he'd say, Check out this book, it has the best answers. Now I know that that professor could have answered me in 20 seconds. That's why I asked for the answer from him in the first place. But the professor knew that when I asked that question, I would need to understand the deep reasoning behind the quick answer so I could explain it to others one day. My professor knew what I needed so much better than I did. And so he sent me to read a book that took many days to find in the library and to read, and then I really deeply understood the answer. When we pray, sometimes God sends us on a journey to the library of experience to pull out a book of experience so we'll deeply understanding just what we've been asking for. When I was a young man, I set myself a goal of being worth a million dollars by age 40. And I prayed for this. And so when I was in my 30s, suddenly I found myself unemployed and had no choice but to set up my own business. It was rough for a couple of years, but then the business began to grow rapidly. One, one year we did a half million dollars in sales, and then the next year we did three quarters of a million in sales. If I had wanted at that time to look for a buyer, I could have probably sold the business for a million dollars. But I had become terribly caught up in the day-to-day -day running of the business and making money. And it was at that time that God began to teach me that helping people come to Jesus was far more interesting and satisfying and wonderful than running my business. And so Sandra and I began to focus more on helping the people who came to us through the business than we did on growing the monetary value of the business. And naturally the business declined in monetary value but we grew in our spiritual understanding of God, and that more than made up for that financial loss. Two lessons learned. First, God really did grant me 
that early prayer, as selfish as it was, I really had a potential net worth of a million dollars by the time I was 40 years old. But the second lesson was much more valuable. That was that bringing people to Jesus was far more important and satisfying than the growth of that business. That was the book from the library of experience that God had me find and read when I asked for that million dollars in worth. Jesus' parable about the judge and the widow was a parable about persistence and about prayer. There are many times when we ask for things and God does not appear to answer us. Our persistence in prayer will make us like that widow who nagged the judge until the judge gave in. God will give us what we ask for, particularly when it involves justice for ourselves or another, for God has the wisdom and the love and the ability to make justice happen for us. So be persistent in our prayers. And this parable really sets up an, another commandment we ought to adopt. Thou shalt nag the Lord thy God. Why? Because nagging the Lord in prayer keeps our minds and our hearts focused upon God as the answer to our life's problems and dreams. Nagging God helps us to stop being so arrogant that we have life's answers. Instead, nagging God keeps us humble because we wouldn't be asking God if we thought we could handle it ourselves. And it's very important for the health of our eternal souls that we recognize our limits and the unlimited power and love of God. God is like that great professor I had. God takes our prayers as insights to the needs of our souls and often sends us to find books in the library of experience when he sees problems in our souls. And those books of experience that God has us read and experience can seem pointless at first, but with hindsight, they were just what we needed to learn. But there's another message about persistence in today's readings. The Jeremiah reading reminds us to stay the course in teaching and encouraging the young people in your care. It can be difficult to get the children and the spouse up and organized on Sunday mornings. It can be difficult to deal with a crying infant in church. It can be difficult, I know, to get a teenager out of bed. It can be difficult and tiring to read scripture and discuss it with children and grandchildren daily. But understand this, there are people who surround you who are ready to help you, for they have been there too. We all know these struggles. But the most important thing for our families, indeed for our society as a whole, is for persistence in teaching young people about God and the hopefulness that comes from having God who loves us deeply. For destruction comes when young people cannot see hope in their lives, when teens give up on life, when older folk decide that there's no point. Hopeless people harm themselves and everyone around them by choosing to worship useless things like chemicals, games, violence, destruction. Give your children and grandchildren hope. Help them find Jesus and the Holy Spirit so the prophecy God gave to Jeremiah will come true no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they'll all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. For we can look back to the example of Jerusalem 
in the 50 years before the Babylonian army arrived and see what happens when we give up, when we let the tiredness get the better of us, when we let down the young people in our lives by letting them do what they ask rather than standing strong and directing them toward God. Be persistent in prayers and teaching. Nag God, your souls, the souls of your children and grandchildren, and perhaps our very society depends on it. And remember, you are not alone. God and the people of this church are ready to help you. So come forward to pray for those children and older people you know who are lost. For if you don't pray for them, who will? Or you might even want to slip in a prayer for yourself. Or you might want to pray for one of these other children or parents that you know needs help. Heavenly Father, help us to follow your Son in the most basic, simple ways. Illuminate us. Let our ears hear, our hearts feel. Help us to persistently praise you, to pray deeply, to give of our time, talents, treasure, presence, and witness that Jesus may be glorified. Tell us. What shall you have us to do today and this week? Speak to us through your Holy Spirit, guiding us, loving us, showing us the way through the light of your Son, Jesus. Help us to simply speak every day to people, particularly our children and grandchildren of your greatness and love. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.